0: Hi, I'm James and I'm Drew and welcome to Graphic Support Group, a mindful podcast for the design industry and the self, where empathy and the creative cloud meet.
1: Join us as we delve into the mind and soul of graphic design from PSDs to PTSD. This is Graphic Support.
0: So, hey guys, it's just me today. It's James. Um, I'm here in Seoul with uh, Ray Masaki, who's calling in from Tokyo, Japan. Um, Ray is a Japanese American designer based in Tokyo. Um, he currently works at Takram, a design consultancy where he works on a variety of projects from branding to exhibitions. Um, he's a graduate at Parsons and also studied type design at Cooper Union um he recently published self-published the book why is the salary man carrying a surfboard through a successful kickstarter um i wanted to have him on because i've known about him through our mutual friend ian Lynam for a little while um but then also after i read his book i was like super excited to get to know ray a little bit more and then get the thinking behind the book um the book itself is a basically a a paper about how the japanese design industry is complicit in white supremacy uh, which sounds super accusatory but he carefully unpacks the darker parts of the relationship between east and west and yeah so we'll get into it um hey ray so we're really excited to have you on
1: yeah thank you yeah cool
0: um what brings you in today (laughs)
1: what brings me in
0: we're we're trying this on (laughs)
1: okay um what brings me in today i don't know i just to just to chill (laughs) nice 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 yeah
0: um it's is it also like super hot in tokyo right now
1: it's super fucking hot yeah Yeah. we have a season called Tsuyu, which is like the rainy season yeah and it usually lasts like two or three weeks and yeah as soon as uh tsuyu ends it's like we're in like the 90s or like yeah in like the 30s yeah, with Celsius, like 200 yeah. percent humidity yeah no it's yeah. disgusting yeah. yeah
0: we're it's weird in seoul right now because we have a similar season called changma which mm-hmm. for some reason it usually changma means monsoon so like mm-hmm. in english it translates to the monsoon season And the first few years I was here, we didn't have it because there was a drought, Mm -hmm. but uh, last year it came back, thankfully, but this year has been weird because, um, there's definitely some like climate change issues going on because like, it'll be cloudy all week long. And then like in the afternoon when like the heat and the atmosphere get all compounded, like it'll start thunderstorming, but not raining. So, like, oh, I'll yeah. be outside of my studio, and I keep on seeing these lightning bolts, mm-hmm. like, nearby, but nothing, <laughs> no rain comes out. And then, like, small patches of soul get hit with this insane amount of rain for, like, 30 minutes. and then
1: Yeah, it's wild, because, like, we were going to the grocery store the other day, and, and it, it was, like, sunny out. And then on the way home, it just started fucking, like, downpouring. And it was hail, like, like yeah. this big,
0: like, oh my God. golf
1: ball size. And I was just yeah. like, man, what is going on? Yeah. yeah. I mean, glo- global warming is wild. I, I mean, <laughs> that's just, like, a <laughs> wild thing to say. <laughs> but, but yeah. I, at least in Japan, it's interesting because, like, everyone's really into, like, the cherry blossom season here. Oh, yeah, for and, sure. And, yeah, and every year it, it starts blooming a little bit earlier and earlier. So there's, like, a visual oh. marker on how how uh, global warming is affecting right, like right, our climate right, here. yeah,
0: Right. And then it's, does it get shorter as well? Cause like our springs and our falls have definitely shortened.
1: I don't, I don't know if it gets shorter necessarily, but um, s- since like Japan is pretty long, it, it mm-hmm. usually like starts from the bottom and works its way up, I guess. Uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that wave of when the cherry blossoms actually bloom, like happens. Mm-hmm sooner and sooner which is interesting yes yes yeah or really sad actually yeah um so i wanted to ask you
0: um yeah a little bit about your background as a japanese american like where did you grow up and um like like your gen your second generation right so your parents immigrated
1: uh yeah i always always forget which one's which but yeah my my parents were born in japan and then moved to America. And then I was born mm-hmm. in America. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah, but to give a little background, I was born on Long Island. And I grew up in an area called Garden City. And then okay. I, gr- I moved to New Jersey when I was like seven, I think. And then I was there for a while until yeah, basically up until college where I went back to New York. And then I was there for about 10 years until okay. I moved to Tokyo. Yeah. Cool.
0: So you're East Coast Asian American.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure.
0: Yeah. And also, like, the Japanese communities are sort of, like, spread out throughout the states. But there's bigger communities similar to the Korean communities, like, on the West Coast, like, in Seattle and um,
1: yeah. San Francisco, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's something that I... I don't know. I I feel like I have this like weird uh like complex with that where mm-hmm. I grew up in a pretty predominant I wouldn't say predominantly, but there was a good amount of Asian people, but okay. it was mostly South Asian and then Chinese American and Korean American kids. Yeah, yeah. And there's literally like maybe like in my high school three or four Japanese American, right? Right. And then like when you go into the city, like there would be like straight up japanese people but not a lot of japanese american people so it was just like i think part of the reason i moved here was because i kind of like longed for that community that i saw Mm -hmm. my korean and chinese friends having so right right right
0: yeah that's interesting actually um yeah because on the east coast like you're right like i went to school there were not that many japanese uh like students period uh because i think Just, like, going to study in America is not as popular. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I think there's more Japanese students in Europe in general. Uh, But I'm making bad generalizations. um, And then there would be, like, really few Japanese Americans. And then, like, I would actually, throughout the years, like, encounter more, like, maybe third generation, three or third or fourth generation Mm. Japanese Americans. Yeah. If they came from the West Coast. So um yeah i think the japanese american experience with the diaspora is like a lot different than the korean experience where yeah it's so interesting because everywhere
1: (laughs) yeah no because like i i feel like um i had this uh i don't know i had this like idealization about the west coast and also about hawaii to a certain extent because i was like these are these are my people you know and Yeah. Like when a lot of people meet me, they think that I have like Californian vibes. I guess just because I'm like I get the
0: same thing. Yeah. I get the same thing. Like I like I well, it's interesting you say because like that's where my parents immigrated to. Okay. So I was born in Hawaii, but like I grew up like my my childhood was spent in Colorado. Mm. And then I spent like all my adult life on the East Coast, but like everyone on the East Coast like, "What? You're like from Korea? Like you you went to high school in Korea <laughs> or like I could have sworn you're from LA and like everyone yeah, yeah, here is like you're from LA, aren't you? It's like, Nope. Nope. I've never <laughs> lived in LA. I like yeah. it, but
1: yeah, yeah. no, I, I like those areas too, but I had this like notion of being able to connect with more people like me and I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And that that's also a generalization. I'm sure there mm-hmm. are people like me out there, but like uh, my wife is actually from Hawaii and I had, okay, cool. When, when we went over there last time, like I had this like, longing to be like oh i'm finally going to be in touch with like my other you yeah, know yeah, like japanese yeah. American Jap-
0: yeah
1: yeah because she like pretty much like only grew up with japanese american people but right like when she's like fifth generation so when you're like right. fourth and fifth generation where your grandparents speak english to you yeah it's just like a completely different culture you know and yeah it's almost like its own unique culture where totally it feels so removed from that kind of yeah, like Japanese diaspora, like yeah. um, experience, almost. You yeah, know? yeah. And so it, it, it actually felt kind of like hmm, I don't know what the word is. Like I don't want to say disappointing, but I like I was hoping <laughs> for this connection that didn't right. actually like land. You know?
0: Right, right, right. That's really fascinating, actually. And like I like my like it's really interesting. I'm gonna visit Hawaii for the first time in like almost fifteen years. All my cousins mm-hmm. and aunts live there. But it'll be interesting seeing the, their kids, their third generation um, and like their exper- their in- interactions with their, uh, their, their, their their parents and stuff. Um, but yeah, Hawaii itself is also a really interesting place because as you're saying there's like fourth, fifth generation, sixth generation Asian Americans. and then like the whole like unique culture that Hawaii has itself is it's pretty pretty cool out there. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I just want to uh, travel back a little bit. Like uh, you mentioned, like one of your desires for for moving to Japan. Uh, you've been out there now since 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What was what were some of those early motivations?
1: Um. Well, it's it's pretty interesting because I'm like more integrated now. I would say, but yeah. So. My family is originally from Tokyo, so I grew up traveling to Tokyo quite a bit. And my, my grandparents' house is actually where my mom lives now. So, uh, yeah, my my grandpa passed away, and then she inherited the house. So now okay. she actually lives like pretty close. And my dad oh, nice. um, also lives like <laughs> like down the street from me. So I'm yeah. I'm actually like really close in that area. And
0: okay, so they moved back.
1: Yeah, so my parents split when I was pretty young, and then my dad mm-hmm. moved back to Tokyo. And then after my stepfather my uh, yeah, married to my mom, mm-hmm. he retired, they they decided to come back to Japan, which was like a okay. couple of years ago. Nice. So yeah, so now like we're all in Japan, which is kind of interesting as well, because we all like grew up or not grew up, but it's like I grew up in America. And so like my mom spent like 30 years in America, you know. right right. um yeah but part of my motivation for coming here was yeah i would visit throughout my childhood and i just really love japanese culture um Mm -hmm. and and maybe this sounds cliche to say now but like i was super into anime and manga you know and yeah and there's this place i don't know how much time you spent in like uh the new york like tri-state area but there's this place called Mitsua or Yama. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been there. And I like kind of spent an important part of my childhood there and Was that like your mall? Yeah, it was like my yeah. it was definitely my my like connection to Japanese culture and we would always like eat in the food court and then like mm-hmm. go to the Kinokuniya and like buy manga and stuff like that. Right. And I think I just had this like fantasy of I think like at least when I was maybe in like high school and definitely college I was like like straight up like otaku style into manga and oh, and like and into anime like yeah <laughs> like, I, people people really would hate me for this but yeah. I remember when I was in the dorm I was like torrenting too much anime and actually like fucked up the <laughs> internet one time <laughs>
0: that's insane yeah but that takes a lot of effort
1: yeah but that was like yeah. the level i was on like I, I would just watch every single anime that was released by like my favorite studios like every season yeah and yeah so i think that like since oh and I then didn't...
0: you could speak japanese so you do, you don't have to wait for the subs
1: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but I, I think like i that i think i was super into anime because I didn't have a lot of that like Japanese community around me. So Mm -hmm. it was like my Mm -hmm. way to like, kind of still stay connected to it, I think. Yeah. And then after college and I was like working in New York and stuff like that, my Japanese was getting worse and worse to the point where, and I I, like honestly didn't have anyone to talk to, you know? So I just like, and even with my mom, it was a very like, um, I don't know, like Asian-American experience, I think. But like mm-hmm. my mom would speak to me in Japanese and I would respond in English a lot of the times. Yeah. So my comprehension was pretty good, but I couldn't mm-hmm. like actually respond that well. So mm-hmm. it was coming to a point where I was like, I'm probably going to lose this language. And if uh... I don't like uh... reclaim it now, I might yeah. lose it forever. And I think I would feel really sad about that, you know? Right, right. So there was a moment where... Um, I knew that I wanted to live in Japan and then, yeah, I mean, this is like whatever, but I, I came out of like a pretty long-term relationship and now it's kind of just like, okay, like this is the time, you know, like I'm, I'm just going to like get rid of all my shit and like pack up and get, get ready for this move. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And New York's, uh, I never had to go through like a really hard breakup in New York, but like, I imagine it's a pretty tough city to to break up and just because like there's so many like sentimental things about new york just yeah that are also i mean the reason why i say this i think like there are sentimental things about new york that are like glorified or accentuated by like popular media mm-hmm. and it, I, I imagine it just make the experience more horrible um <laughs> but yeah uh, that that's interesting thanks for sharing um
2: support now we love hearing from the design community call us at 202-507-9158 please share your story with us after the tone we'll do our best to respond on our podcast please leave a name or alias design role and location thank you for your call
0: kind of wanted to talk to you also about um about like that that sense of community like because mm-hmm. i think for me moving to korea was a little bit different and definitely my la- it's it's cool to hear you talk about your language skills and like your attachment to that um i i have always kind of had a decent level of korean but like not as good as some of my other Korean-American peers. And when I say mm-hmm. Korean-American, like, um, so for me, just to give you a little background, like I came to, I was born in Hawaii, I was born in the States, but then I grew up in Colorado until I was 12. Mm-hmm. And then in seventh grade, we moved to Korea because oh, my wow. dad got a job out here. And I was really fortunate. Like my dad was really doing well professionally at the time, so I, he was able to pay for Uh, foreign school or international school and uh, so I went to international school for seventh to until I graduated high school and then uh, I went to RISD from there Um, so I had a definitely a weird and kind of unique experience living in Seoul but like I always found Seoul to kind of be my hometown because Mm -hmm. I would visit when I was in college and then like my parents they live in Atlanta now but they were here up until like 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, um, so yeah, so like my Koreans always been all right, but like, I went to school with like straight up Korean students and then like Korean Americans. And then, um, in the international school, like I had friends who were Korean American like me, but like they came in like third grade or fifth grade and they're just Korean was much better because also they grew up around Koreans. Um, Mm-hmm. So, like, I always had, a, like, a little bit of complex about my Korean skills. Um, right. And then it's gotten, like, way better now. Um, but, yeah. yeah. And so, like, for me, coming back to Seoul, like, I like to say, like, when I'm hard-pressed or just, like, off the cuff, like, why are you living in Korea? And it's like, oh, to, like, work and live in my father's country. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, I also know that's kind of, like, a bullshit reason. Like, um, I think what it's coming to be, now, it's sort of like, I think Korea is very much a part of me um, and my identity. Like, I wouldn't go as far to say I'm Korean, but like, at times I do say I'm Korean. Um, and also, like, for me, I think the big thing that I told myself when I came here is like, I feel perpetually foreign and other in the States. I'm going to feel the same way in Korea. I might just go, go somewhere where... I mean, I hate to admit it sometimes, but like there is a definite comfort being around people that look like me and not being questioned, like who I am or where I'm from. Um, but I mean the fact that I have a hard time admitting that too is, is my own issue. But, um, but also like, I think it was just as you were saying, yeah, as you were saying, like you, you were starting to lose something, um, But also in terms of learning too, like I learn a way more not just about myself, but like just practical things like how to deal with taxes in Korea and like Mm -hmm. how to like I have to send out like uh, invoices through the tax system if I get paid and just like Mm -hmm. just like how to be an adult and in a foreign country um, and those kinds of things as well. So I thought like after I graduated from grad school, I was like. Where am I going to learn more? Um, so that that's kind of, like, my end. But, like, I think what I'm curious, too, is, like, you had your deeply personal reason, but also, like, kind of what were the per- professional motivations as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say that, too, because I, like, the way I learned Japanese was being thrown into, like, the deepest end of the pool, but with, like, a lead vest on. <laughs> because. <laughs> The way I learned Japanese was um, like, I think like three months into moving or into my move into Tokyo, I I saw that like one of my favorite designers, Nagashima Ryabakuo, was like uh, hiring
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and she doesn't hire very often. Her studio usually has like two employees. Um, mm-hmm. So I saw that as like an opportunity, but I was like, initially thinking about spending you know maybe half a year to a year to get better at the language but mm-hmm. i thought that th- this was like a pretty important opportunity for me mm-hmm. so i applied on a whim and i think because maybe i grew up listening to so much japanese that my my accent is actually quite like natural
0: oh really That's um cool.
1: but like the problem with that too is that since i have a japanese face and i have a japanese accent a lot of people take me take that at like literally face value, you know, right, and, right. and they're like, oh, this guy could speak Japanese or whatever, <laughs> you know, but and my, then they just
0: start speaking.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then it's just like, I, I trip on, up on like one word and it like really blocks me. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, she, she gave me a chance and I joined her studio and like, I didn't know any of the words, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's hard to know all the words in English for your Mm -hmm. profession, but I didn't know a single word of how to describe anything in Japanese. Right, so I had to learn how to write business emails, and it's like a, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like toot my own horn or anything, but like I think it's a difficult job even for a Japanese designer.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah. So
1: I was trying to learn a new language, learn a new culture, learn the language around my profession, learn like. Like business level Kegel. like there's like respect levels within the language, right? And I was trying to do that all like at once, yeah. And I that is the deep end, yeah. Pretty deep. No, I I, like nearly died. It was really intense. But I think because of that time in the studio, I I think I, you know, like the hyperbolic chamber in Dragon Ball, yeah. (laughs) I feel like I condensed, like, three years worth of learning into, like, a year and a half, you know? So it was, like, yeah. a very intense but powerful... Uh,
0: it, it, it's yeah. a small studio, right? So you're not having someone, like, like directly above you or, like, someone near your level who's, like, hey, this is how you do this. Yeah, or, uh, yeah, yeah
1: right. it's, it's really intense because um, we're basically treated like freelancers, where mm-hmm. um, she is, like, the... I guess you would say like the creative director or the art director, but we carry our own projects and we deal with our clients and we deal with the printers and we do the, and we like do the project management all by ourselves. So like, and then like at the end of every day, she'll like check our work and stuff like that, but Mm -hmm. it really is on us to do everything. So it was just like, amazing. yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how I did it, but
0: so she really took a chance on you.
1: Yeah, I don't know if she's going to take a chance again because I, <laughs> it was <laughs> tough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it worked out. I don't know. I mean, maybe it didn't work out. I don't know. It, it's like, but, yeah.
0: So, also, um, were you, like, when you first moved, were you like getting any formal training in Japan or like were you going to like an institute or in Japanese? No. Like, okay, so yeah, like, that's similar to me. Like, I've, aside from like, korean school when i was in elementary school like at church and stuff like other than that i don't think i i really had i studied korean like um academically
1: but yeah it's it's like yeah oh sorry Um, oh no no, go ahead go ahead it's like it's funny because since i learned japanese in such a specific environment Mm -hmm. my my vocabulary around like printing is very advanced
0: yeah but like
1: sometimes someone will say like a very like elementary word like um scandinavia or something Mm -hmm. and i -hmm. i I like won't know what they're saying you know Mm -hmm. so it's like i i have this weird leaning or bias towards my language skills
0: right 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 and i also like that practice base like for me um one of the, I think like my speech got way better really quickly because I always complain about this, but one of the the hardest things for me to adjust to professionally when I came to Korea was how much, how many phone calls I would get and have Mm. to make because like email is sort of like a reporting type of thing. Yeah. And then also, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but like the sense of shame and like (laughs) in professionalism keeps people from being too open and like, um, too too vocal on email um -hmm. so it's like call the person figure out what's going on clarify and then uh, you follow up with the email Mm. or emails are purely like like information based so like if i'm dealing with a printer like i'll discuss everything with him on the phone and like even the date. and then all i'll send him are like the measurements and the paper color yeah or the paper choice
1: yeah it's funny because like i would i would get so nervous for phone calls because yeah like uh, i would i need when i have meetings with people i need to preface the fact that like yes i am japanese but my japanese isn't perfect you know Right, right right and with a phone call you don't have that kind of like filter in between yeah so i mean and my japanese is Is fortunately very good now, but like at the beginning of working there, I would literally write out scripts of what I would say to to like the printer or client or whatever. But the thing was, it was like a tree diagram where I I would kind of anticipate what their responses would Uh. be. But but if it took like a detour to the left, yeah, uh, it would like fuck me up so bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) That sometimes I would just be like, ah, ah. and i would like give it to like <laughs> <laughs> like nagashima or something right right, right right so
0: yeah. yeah that's pretty that's pretty smart like a like a kind of like a telemarketer script yeah like yeah um but also just like i think for me the, the phone was also because like at, in the states like you never call anyone yeah like, that's like the last minute thing and then also like i have really bad phone etiquette like my friends would always get like on my case because I kind of get nervous if I have to fo- like pick up a phone call like when I'm out in public because like, yeah for sure I think people are like listening to me or like I'm being rude or something yeah yeah um and so like I'd be really curt and abrupt on the phone and and then I just had to get used to it and just, like yeah. that sort of like weird emotional psychological hurdle with the phone was a weird adjustment period um also did you have that moment where um your hearing and comprehension got better so that you could hear how bad your accent was <laughs> or like not your accent. Cause you said your accent as well, but like just like yeah. you can hear where you're making mistakes. Cause I had that experience. It,
1: yeah. That would... No, it's really interesting because I, um, I'm, I'm just like constantly practicing sentences in my head. Okay. And, and, there are there are times where, you know, when you like do something really cringy in high school, and like sometimes you like, like twenty, like twelve years later, you like are in bed and you're ma- you're like, man, oh yeah, I-, I did it that way. You know, I have yeah. moments like that where I'm, yeah. like the other day, I used the wrong word for author, okay. and like no one, no one cared, you know, but I really cared about it, right, 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 right. <laughs> and I thought about it the whole day, and I was like, yeah. i i I, like i knew the word but yeah 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 (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, yeah
2: Trust. It is important now more than ever, to trust your type, to feel the force of your fonts, to embrace each font's unique characteristics, to tap into the spirit of each letter, and to celebrate each typeface's world of potentiality. When in doubt, the typography will tell you what it wants to do, where it wants to be, how much space it needs to occupy. Typography isn't just about perfect curves, precise lines, serifs, counters, and diacritics. It is also about soul, spirit, spontaneity. It is about letting the typeface behave exactly how it naturally wants to behave and not forcing it into a role it is not comfortable in. Typography, like clothing, can adapt and be styled across space, time, and era. It can never be relegated to one box or to one instance. But if you trust the type, it will show you where it wants to go. It will reveal its potential. It will show you its true nature. Trust the type and trust yourself.
0: feel like i i've definitely become more korean in many ways probably bad ways (laughs) um in terms of like i don't think it's impatience but like definitely there's a different pace in korea that like Mm -hmm. just like things happening right like i think i'm like a little bit weirdly more adaptable because Mm -hmm. things change so quickly here um and then i'm like far more understanding about hierarchy like i still mm-hmm. i think deep down think it's really inefficient in a lot of cases but like um i find myself like wanting to be respected in certain cer- certain contexts and then um and then also learn knowing how to be respectful in different ways mm-hmm. um, i think a lot of things that kind of come up is like i think actually what's been interesting is like i've learned the importance of language in korea Mm. um so like for example like there's i'm sure this is similar in japan but there's in japanese but there's like a lot of different titles for people like your name actually kind of disappears in the in 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 terms of like the institute or the corporation or the company in there your your like surname and your title is sort of what a lot of people go by um so, like, in the more progressive organizations, like, for example, An sang Patti School, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, Patriot Institute of Typography, like, they all go by nicknames to mm-hmm. create a flat hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, so even An sang you would normally call him, like, An Gyo-sun-nim, like, Professor mm-hmm. An, but he goes by 날개, which is, like, feather, uh, mm-hmm. or, or wing, wing. Um, and then maybe sometimes it will be like, like, which is like a teacher. But mm-hmm. even those are like pretty, um, pretty like they're not common honorifics. Um, yeah. so th- that's like a really extreme example, but like, um, Like, you can kind of tell the difference between company cultures by whether they go by nim, which is a little bit more formal, but also Mm -hmm. respectful, or she. Um, And so there's these things that, like, I think people are aware of how powerful language is so they try to introduce these new conventions to try and either take down the hierarchy or establish the hierarchy in different ways like um yeah that's the other thing that i noticed the longer i spend in korea the less i look at things as right or wrong Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um i just look at it as different or i understand or don't understand it
1: oh yeah no i'm i'm the exact same way yeah yeah I I remember when I first moved here, I I made, like, a pretty concerted effort to try to hang out with, with like, Japanese people because I I wanted to, like, you know, like, I, I think it's kind of easy to fall into just, like, hanging out in, like, the expat community and stuff like that. But, yeah, I was really, like, surprised to hear, like, one of the first questions you get asked is, like, how old you are. Just so mm-hmm. that like within the group dynamic you you know like where everyone stands. Right, you know? right, 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 right. And because like in New York, like I mean maybe it'd be different if it was like a like a 15 year age gap or something like that, right. but it's pretty flat overall. And right. Like if I want to like buy my homie a beer or something, it's like no big deal, you know. But right, if right, I right. if I like try to buy my friend a A drink who's like two years older than me he's like no i like honestly can't accept that (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah Yeah. and yeah and the other thing that that you kind of reminded me of that i thought was kind of interesting is that like um like allowing someone to call you by your like first name is Uh... actually actually like a moment of like connection where it's like Like, if someone calls me, like, Masaki-kun or Masaki-san, you know, and then I'm just like, no, you can just call me, like, Rei or Rei-kun or whatever. It's kind of like, it's like you've reached (laughs) this, like, next step in your friendship, you know? And I I think that's, like, it is weird that it comes with this kind of hierarchy, but it it also is this, like, a little bit of a bonding moment that you don't experience in a lot of other cultures.
0: Does it always have to be something that's, like, uh permission is given
1: like, um
0: do you find your situations where some people who are less formal just like jump the gun
1: um i think it can happen but it's considered pretty rude especially if okay. um it's someone older than you or you're older than them um if right. they jump the gun on it i mean I I think it would really depend on the context. It's funny because it's like, it's kind of going back to um, the social contract, like contract of like, like at least with like business emails, there's this like really formal, like almost templatized language that goes Mm -hmm. into writing a business email. Mm -hmm. And like everyone fucking hates it, you know? Yeah. But if like one dude just came in with like the super rough email, it's like, Hey, what's up? You know? Yeah. I think I would be like, hey, like, we all agreed to this, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, you exactly, got to do it too, exactly, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like this, like, weird, like, social con- contract that we yeah. all agree to, so, I mean, I probably wouldn't care if someone called me, like, Ray, like, right off the bat, but right. um, m- maybe in a work setting, I would be like, huh, you know, like, that kind of Yeah, thing. yeah,
0: yeah, so, yeah. We have. I mean, I had actually. Speaking of emails and like, so we have Mm chundema and panma, which is formal and informal. Um, but uh, I had a experience recently. I was like, put sending out emails to put my magazine putting into bookstores, and then I was going back and forth with this one bookstore, and then finally when they accepted, they wrote this really funny, casual, Mm -hmm. in like panma, but like super super informal like mm-hmm. it to the point where it's like basically it's like hey i like your book let's put it in <laughs> yeah cool like see you later. Uh, <laughs> and i was like what like who the hell are you like, Yeah. Why are you? like and so like i when i called them like i was like i'm just curious like who wrote this email <laughs> and they're <laughs> like oh well, the owner don't usually doesn't do that kind of thing but I mean, they bought my magazines. So I'm, I'm totally fine. But I was just so shocked. And, I was, and then I, there was another one. I was like, hey, I am pretty Korean now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I, um, sorry, we're like bouncing anecdotes back and forth. But that's uh, just no, reminded no, me of great. one thing that I, I just remembered, yeah. too, is that like something that I've been trying to do recently is that, you know, how I was explaining how I, I, I wish I could have that kind of like I'm American first filter, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something I've been trying recently is even when I'm writing formal emails, I'll end it by saying, like Ray instead of Uh Masaki. Ah. And so, and since my name is, I can, I have a kanji for my name, but I can write it R A Y, which is obviously an unusual spelling of my name. Right. I'm like trying to subversively introduce the idea. Yeah, yeah. That. I, I like i might not be of the same culture necessarily yeah. so yeah. I, yeah there's so much yeah i feel like there's so much to like names and hierarchies yeah. and honorifics and stuff
0: just kind of going back a little bit on moving to japan um one of the reasons that i also moved to korea was like as a designer as a korean-american mm-hmm. designer personally i felt really grateful and also it was kind of a point of pride that like as a korean-american i grew up in korea and like know both cultures Mm -hmm. even though my korean wasn't like perfect um but as a korean-american designer like unless i'm working on like a samsung account and even if i'm working on a samsung account like i just didn't see my background or my experience internationally really being helpful or even in a way like able to use it Mm -hmm. um so so like i was wondering if you had a similar experience
1: Um, yeah yeah it's actually something that uh, i've been like thinking about a lot recently is there's a strange privilege of being japanese american mm -hmm. because um japanese culture is often like fetishized and exoticized right Mm -hmm. and and i don't want to play like the arbiter or like the cop of like what is allowed in japanese design or whatever but you Mm -hmm. know like you you see like kind of corny kids on instagram using kanji or using anime as like yeah as motifs you know and and i think about that stuff and like obviously there is like an appropriative quality to that stuff but then there's, like, a privilege to me being Japanese-American because, like, I I guess I can use those motifs, but do I understand it on a level deeper than those people? And before I moved to Japan, I don't think I could necessarily say I, I could. I mean, obviously, I have a Japanese-American background, so I did grow up with Japanese parents and stuff like that, so I do have that. But there was a part of me that felt like I was, like this sounds stupid but i was like cosplaying as a japanese designer yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> do, yeah. do you know what i mean and so yeah. um and i talked about this recently with my friend sam but like we're like we're really nerdy and into nerdy shit like everything uh-huh. we talk about is on like a very deep and intense level and and but because i'm a japanese guy I'm allowed to kind of like live out, live out my weeb fantasies, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm like into like figurines. I'm into like yeah. vape. I'm into watches yeah. like Seikos and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. But my friend Sam, he's like a white guy, like married to a Japanese woman. Mm-hmm. And um, not that he's not allowed to enjoy those things, but I think yeah. he receives a different judgment yeah, be- because he's a white man living in Japan and white people tend to exoticize Japanese culture, so there's right. like this different lens that's cast on him, even though we're doing the same exact thing, hmm. you know. And yeah, I, I'm. I mean, I, I I don't I don't really know like what my conclusion. Which, to I that think is, actually,
0: but, yeah. what the what's interesting is actually like the it's like the one of the first times I've here heard you play it back in a way that's like um, advantageous. Like normally, a lot of people like that ability to live out your weeb fantasies like it's normally presented or understood as like he's Asian, he's a weeb Mm -hmm. and it's like expectation. Uh, Whereas like the white guy who likes anime, it's like outside of the expectation for them. So it's like you're being fetishistic or you're Mm -hmm. being exoticizing a culture that's not yours. And so it's a step out of the norm, but like it's coming from you as a Japanese American, you're coming from the perspective of how that gives you, I wouldn't go so far as it gives you agency, right? Mm-hmm. But it it is something that you know um, that you can move freely in. I yeah. Guess. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but definitely the coding is different for sure for your friend Sam. Yeah. Uh,
2: support now we love hearing from the design community call us at 202-507-9158 please share your story with us after the tone we'll do our best to respond on our podcast please leave a name or alias design role and location thank you for your call
0: back with ray um ray you just uh self-published this book uh why is a salaryman carrying a surfboard um and i don't want to well i well first of all like it's an amazing piece of writing uh, amazing piece of research very are very well organized um you're covering a lot of really big topics but i thought that you did have a, a certain level of academic rigor without making it boring um And I did, like, really touch upon a lot of things that I've been thinking about, not specifically maybe towards BLM, I think, which sounded like that was the impetus for the writing. Um, But just also being a Korean American and seeing those overlaps between Eastern and Western culture, the power dynamics, the hierarchies, the appropriations. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have a few questions uh, about the book. Um, without having to, like, really spoil it or anything, um, because everyone should check it out and read it. Um, Is it still available for purchase outside of Kickstarter?
1: Yeah, it's uh, on my website, bathboys.tokyo. Nice. Bathboys.tokyo, everybody.
0: (laughs) Plug in (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So the first question I had, actually, like, you go into the historical context for your assertion that Japanese design is complicit in white supremacy. Um, And the historical context talks a lot about what happened after uh, World War II. Um, So I'm just kind of curious, like through your parents or through your upbringing or through your own kind of um, exposure, like what is your relationship to post-war Japan? Like through maybe your grandparents or your family or just like the, the
1: things that you've kind of been exposed to? Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah, I think the war is interesting because, at least in Japan, I feel like it affects and touches everything, but it's on this, like, kind of invisible layer. So it's hard to say, like, this is a thing that I experienced. But, I mean, at least, like, with my grandparents, um, they've always lived in this uh, uh, neighborhood of Tokyo called Toritsu Daigaku, and my my grandma was like a pretty like legitimate hoarder, I would say mm-hmm. um and I think a lot of like war I don't know is is it weird to say families like like that's a pr- probably a pretty shared experience uh, yeah. uh in families that go- have gone through wars but um like so when my mom inherited the house mm-hmm. she basically gutted it and then mm-hmm. like um remodeled it and so in that process she had to throw away like all the trash and mm-hmm. and it was like crazy like um I shouldn't say crazy it, it, but it was like really immense amount of stuff it was like yeah you, you know like those trays you bring out your like dinner in you know yeah. like like in Japan you like put the because since it's like usually multiple dishes you put it yeah. on a tray and then you bring it to the table right like she had like 20 of those, you know, and it's like, how many people are you inviting over to this house? You know, but it was just part of this war mentality is of like, you don't know when you're going to lose food or lose your things. Mm-hmm. So you just hold on to things as if you're going to lose them. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that being like really memorable to me because, yeah, like when when I would go over to my mom's house as she was cleaning, she would just be like, do you want like 14 sets of chopsticks you know <laughs> it's like i guess yeah <laughs> you know? yeah
0: my, my grandpa was this my grandfather was the same way um when he passed away my dad had to clear out the house like i mean i remember going to his house and there'd be always be like stacks and stacks of newspapers around like to the point it would be like a major fire hazard yeah and then we went into the basement i was like man if someone threw a cigarette down here like the whole house would have burnt down because he had like kept every single newspaper since like the like 80s or 70s or something and i mean i knew like he used to do this thing and i thought it was more of his old age but i feel like his obsession he would read every single article in the newspaper but like he would underline everything so that he could read it better Mm -hmm. um but also to read it like very like precisely Mm-hmm. um but yeah that's interesting because i i have it is definitely a war mentality like yeah. kind of like holding on to um, possessions um i'm kind of also kind of interesting one of the reasons why i ask you about this question mm-hmm. um because i think it does kind of relate to how you're how you're looking at how japan's development history plays into um how how easily sort of malleable mm-hmm. that 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 acceptance of western culture is i think that you outline in your book yeah um and you 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 like it's it's actually something that's taking me a while to understand that like um, cuz you know essentially there should be a lot of bitterness towards the the united states but there was this point where there was uh through propaganda as you explain in your book um and also the way the american military presence sort of like manipulated the japanese public um into really like idolizing and like uh, and that like having this great sense of enamor mm-hmm. and fascination for american culture yeah um so that's what i was kind of curious about like what kind of may have been passed down generationally through your family mm-hmm. um across yeah. the war and
1: so. stuff yeah i i do want to be clear about that stuff though because i think that is absolutely a reality of part of the history but there are also so many people who weren't like Mm -hmm. happy about the military presence and stuff like that so i I don't i don't want to generalize every everyone but yeah yeah i think that played a huge role in yeah how yeah like western influence kind of came into the country
0: is, is it kind of like, yeah. like the complacency that I see here is that, like, you know, everyone's really highly educated here. So they're very yeah. well of what's
1: going on politically.
0: Yeah. Um, but it's the complacency I run into here is sort of like they feel powerless.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, yeah. I remembered what I wanted to say. Yeah. But I- exactly. Like the. Yeah. I think Japan is very similar in in that, like, everyone is pretty well educated. And most of my peers, um, at least the ones that I, I deal with like on the daily, like my coworkers and stuff like that, like everyone reads and knows what's happening. Like, and maybe that's that could be rare within Japanese society. I, I, like my my sample size is pretty small, so I can't really say. But um, I I feel like there is still a sense of Like, not wanting to rock the boat and not wanting to, like, yes, like, talk about it or discuss it in a way that feel like, you know, too aggressive or abrasive or whatever. And yeah, and I think that does come generationally, where so much stuff happened that led up to the war that wasn't necessarily, like, everyone's consensus, you know? and Mm And not to say that, like, that, like, a lot of, like, the atrocious things were p- excusable or anything, but like, they're like, Japan was basically like, authoritarian, you know, and,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like, decided to just, like, be super, like, greedy and power-hungry, and I think that that left a lasting impression, especially after being, like, on the losing side of it, I think it left a generational, like, scar that made Japanese people feel really powerless or like not able to like speak up against the, the government, I think. Right. And I don't know. And and that that's that's just my sense and I'm not I'm not for certain. But I think that reflects in the way that politics are discussed here. Like there are like small avenues and I like follow some YouTube channels and stuff like that. But yeah. the way that like people get upset and talk about things like in america is not the way it happens here and yeah and that that's like what you were saying earlier it's not necessarily good or bad but it's a different thing that i'm trying to understand and yeah by understanding that more thoroughly i think i'm trying to figure out strategies in which i can like talk within that that system you know what i mean (laughs) yeah
0: yeah Um, i want to come back to that sort of sense of understanding and and possibly it sounds like action like your Mm -hmm. book is a form of action as well um but i want to kind of move through your book a little bit um Mm -hmm. you you have this really interesting chapter about shame and collectivism Mm -hmm. um, and this idea of shame um and i think i hate i don't Consider myself a shameful person, but like when I really break it down, I think shame is definitely a big part of my identity. Mm-hmm. Considering how much of my attention and time is spent on the opinions of others and being people pleasing, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm just curious how like shame plays into because like I'm definitely not to the extreme where it's like if I fail, like I feel like I'm embarrassing my parents. Like I won't go so yeah. far as to use a stereotype like i bring dishonor <laughs> to my family but <laughs> but like i don't really like there actually was a the thing is like i think there are these things that like sit in my subconscious like um without getting in too much into it like i had a, I had a nervous breakdown a couple of years ago um and a big part of that nervous breakdown was i thought i felt that if me coming to Korea and if i didn't do things certain do things a certain way and didn't achieve a certain am- amount of, of of success or, like, didn't do certain things a certain way that I would let everyone who helped me get here down. Mm. And there was a particular person that, like... Um, and, like, that. of course, my parents were, were part of that list of people. Um, but that's when I really kind of, like, confronted my own issues with shame. It's like, mm. oh, wow, it's like my own ambitions are... Uh, wrapped up in this like false um, kind of like attribution to other people's sort of expectations Um, but I think I'm still kind of working through like where that may come from exactly Mm -hmm. but yeah I'm, I'm curious like what your what your understanding of your own personal shame has been
1: yeah it's really interesting because I think my version of shame is like a, a particular cocktail of and maybe it's similar to you because you spent time in the States as well. But like um, my, there is like the Japanese sense of shame, but I feel like my, my shame is like passed through this like diaspora version of it where
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, there are things, there are things that about Japanese culture that are very much ingrained in me. And I don't know how, I don't actually know how they were ingrained in me, but they are. And I have an understanding of like, what is shameful within Japanese society, but then I have all my very like American sensibilities as well. And then when I came to Japan, I remember that there would be, and I I think I touch on it a little bit in my book as well. But like, I, I placed a lot of pressure on myself as someone who, like a lot of people don't meet a lot of Americans and is and I'm an especially weird American because I'm bi- bilingual so they can speak directly to an American person in a way that mm-hmm. they can't with most foreign people. And so I placed a lot of pressure on myself of like how am I best representing an American person? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Do you that's know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and so like because like at least in in my work uh, like working for Nagashima-san like I, I didn't want to do a poor job, or I didn't want to be seen as lazy, or there's like all these like stereotypes about Americans, and like, and like, to be frank, like some of them may be like somewhat true, or like based on like things that people have experienced, you know, and and I wanted to like make sure that like I was giving Americans a fair shot. <laughs> oh, <know>? that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's really be, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. There's like th- these very like cliché stereotypes about like um American people like are dirty or they litter or like mm-hmm. and or they they're not like thorough like ten mm-hmm. is like a really Japanese concept here but like mm-hmm. just being like very polite and thorough, you know. And in in our in my studio we would always clean in the morning. Like we would clean mm-hmm. the entire studio yeah. and which is like a very Japanese thing, you know. And yeah. I just remember my coworker, Yanokun. he would, like, I remember one time I, like, went downstairs, and he was at the sink, and this is, like, you know, like, 9.45 in the morning, and he was just, like, scrubbing this, like, tiny teaspoon, and I was, like, this, like, Japanese motherfucker, you know? (laughs) And I I was just, like, and and I would not, like, sweep well enough and stuff like that, or, like, and I just remember being, like, this doesn't necessarily affect the output of my work, but this affects like how I'm seen as a Japanese American person within like this very Japanese context. Mm -hmm. And I, -hmm. I, I I remember thinking like, I want to do this really well.
0: Right, right, right. I got to do better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me it wasn't so much representing America, but like trying not to be the imperialist or the colonizer, Mm -hmm. especially because I teach yeah, um, and I, I have to catch myself all the time with that. Um, my brother always teases me. He's like, um, but um, I mean, it's totally, it's totally the, totally, he's totally right. Like,
1: yeah, like, yeah. That that's the other thing that I'm extremely cognizant of is that. Mm-hmm. And and we've touched on this a little bit as well, but like, just because we do it a certain way in America doesn't make it better or right, even if. Even if like the Japanese way feels like emotionally wrong, you know, and that's the thing that I'm like, like sometimes there, there are things where I'm just like, okay, this is wrong and it feels wrong, but there's some things that are more in that gray area. And those are the things that I, I think are kind of like learning opportunities for me at least because yeah, cause I don't know yeah it feels very like imperialistic of me to be like this is wrong because this is different from what i'm used to you know and so yeah i I definitely have to like catch myself when i'm having that feeling reaction
0: um so the other thing i mean the other thing i'm trying to like without getting into details with your book because I, i i want people to read your book um so i'm trying to pick some things that like maybe tie to your personal experience but um, you you in that in that chapter about shame and collectivism, you explain that competition in in Japanese culture is a little is very different from how yeah. we view competition in the West. Where in competition in the West, it's about individual performance and getting ahead and being the best, and being the best is definitely still your goal in in Asian in Asian culture or Japanese culture. But you explain it in a way that's like. You don't want to fall out of the pack you don't want to fall behind you don't want to stick out and that's how you i liked how you you coupled it with collectivism because and shame because Mm -hmm. sort of like if you don't keep up and you don't do the best then you're sticking out and therefore you're not acceptable um yeah so i was curious like because i can like my parents were actually pretty hands-off because um so they were pretty mm-hmm. like not super like strict about and have like super high expectations. But one thing that really stuck with me and I think affected me in a negative way was like my mom would always compare me to other kids. And that was mm-hmm. her way of like kind of pushing the sense of competition or like saying that I'm not like living up to the standard that you know that mm-hmm. that was implied. Um but well, I'm curious if, if that was part of your experience as well. Um, or how did competition play into your your upbringing?
1: Hmm. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Yeah, like my my mom was also very hands-off with me. And mm-hmm. I feel very fortunate for that because I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing without that kind of like approach you know mm-hmm. and and i'm i'm just naturally not a competitive person like at all um, yeah 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 so I, I don't know I i've never cared if i like won or lost at a game or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anything yeah. you, you know so well yeah so i don't know
0: I'm curious though, because you, like, I feel like I, I find this, like I'm not a very competitive person, but like for that reason, that is actually one aspect of Korean culture that is really hard for me to um, understand because like there is a level of obsession, competitive obsession here that mm-hmm. I, it's just like, I just didn't grow up that way. So anything from like golf to like, mm-hmm overwatch or like battleground like you gotta be the best at it and like you and like when Mm -hmm. i look at their drive like even my students and whatnot it's not always it it it, you're i think that's why i found that part in your book so revealing that it really isn't about um them individually being the best especially when it comes to like fashion or like these like game type things like it's like I don't want to embarrass myself by not being able to play yeah. well or um, so that, that was really revealing for me in your book. Um, I wanted to also kind of like uh, expand a little bit about what you your you mentioned in your book about the, sort of the application of uh, Japanese work ethic and perfectionism to Western styles and manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Like you bring up the, the denim manufacturers Mm -hmm. and cultures in, in um, Mm -hmm. Japan. Um, But I'm also curious, like you said, you're a big nerd and you're really nerdy about things. Um, Where do you like, do you like, I'm not trying to tie it to your Japanese identity at all, but like, where do you think that kind of drive to know, like what I was interested also in your book, the way you uh, you explain the whole Japanese Ivy style is that mm-hmm. they came together in this club to really um, not like follow or adopt. I mean, they were following American style, but not in a way that like they were trying to come up with their own style. But it's like they really genuinely wanted to know what the right dress was, what the clothes that these mm-hmm. people were wearing and how to wear it correctly. Like it's felt so like instructional. Yeah. And you, the way you describe the magazines yeah. from that time period um like where like do you find yourself also possessing similar obsessive qualities or like do you see it kind of in your everyday
1: yeah yeah no absolutely yeah and a lot of that that research was from uh uh w david marx's book or is it david w mark but uh yeah but um i
0: think it's w david
1: i i yeah w david marx um but, yeah, I, I the thing I think about a lot here is that even though, um, like, Japanese society is often described as, like, very, actually, no, it, it, I think it's because Japanese society is described as a homogeneous, like, kind of monoculture, you know, mm-hmm. that the way to stand out it is by like, yeah, maybe, maybe it has a little bit to do with that competition you' were talking about, but mm-hmm. it's like, um, I think because things were, were all very similar, um, mm-hmm. but well, that's a generalization, but you, you know what I mean? like yeah, we're, yeah. we're generally like built, look, and act in similar ways that I think there's actually a lot of agency around expression and people are allowed, to be obsessed which is something that I, I haven't really I didn't really experience in America and mm-hmm. I I actually do like that a lot because like I mean it it works both ways like and I talk about it in my book as well but like you can look at fashion in in Harajuku or whatever and there are people there will be people who look like like cookie cutters of each other you know right. but you're also allowed to take it to like a very extreme level of mm-hmm. like your own like personal expression or style. Mm-hmm. And no one really like bats an eye because like there there's just this like like otaku otaku like obsessive mm-hmm. culture in general mm-hmm. towards like anything, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just accepted that like you're you're allowed to find your own expression or obsessions mm-hmm. and like live them out in a way yeah. that yeah, it feels less judgmental and the, the other really thing i want to say actually yeah
0: yeah i'm yeah.
1: oh, sorry yeah and the, the other thing i want to say about that too is that um the acceptance of different types of obsessions is is pretty um like open and varied too and i think part of that is because like a lot of us are raised on the same media and like there's mm-hmm. a bunch of like there's just like weird stuff, you know, like whether it's manga or advertisements or like the, the types of like, you know, like fashion and imagery you just see everywhere. And I think like, that shared, like knowledge of aesthetics and stuff like that, like, allows people to just explore things in in, like, like wider and weirder ways that, um, yeah, I think is pretty interesting.
0: That's actually something that I really envy about Japanese culture is that, like, I think even when I, when I think about Japanese design, actually, I think the thing that I always think about actually in a lot of envy is that, like, Japan is building off a long tradition of design, arts, and crafts. And there is always that history, whereas Korea, that history has, it's there, but it just hasn't been preserved very well. It's been destroyed. It's been, it just hasn't had the room to breathe or germinate. And so I think that's a, like someone, sh- someone probably has done a careful study about this, but just the traces of that kind of having to start over again, I think really attributes to how things get absorbed and remixed and, and, and reappropriated in K-pop culture or Hollywood culture in that it's, like, all screaming at this certain level. Um, But that's, like, a whole other discussion. But, like, just because of that that kind of, like, room to be weird, as you say, right, like, um, is something that is really – I kind of envy about Japanese culture. And it's interesting to hear you say that, like, even the most obsessive kind of, like, cosplay or, like, the rockabilly guys, um, like – they're not looked upon negatively. Whereas no. like, I think here there are growing pockets of people who are like Lolita style or like, even um, you know, like maybe more aggressive hip hop style. Um, they're definitely still kind of look like as outcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like that for most people, that kind of extreme level of self-expression is, is, is not really, um entertain positively here i think in
1: korea i think the the other thing too is just like the wealth of the nation you know and um and i think since japan is one of like the largest economies you know um a, a lot of the things that are grown here can actually like evolve and stay here like Mm -hmm. i've been writing this essay about like um garake like the the feature phones and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but since the audience and the money is big enough to exist within a single society or culture Mm -hmm. like there isn't a need to cater to a global audience sometimes and Ah. and i think like Whereas yeah. Korea, like I think about K-pop immediately, but it's yeah. it's designed to be exported, you know, it, I mean, it, right, right, it obviously right. is formulated and concentrates in Korea, but right. it's designed to be exported in a way that a lot of Japanese media and like art and design isn't. And right. I think that's very unique because Japan will make like weird shit that only Jap- Japanese people like, but it right. it still works on a fundamental level because there's, like, enough of an economy to support it. Right, um, right, right. So I, I think that's also a pretty big distinction, too, because it's such a small and insular country with so much money to actually support weird things, you know?
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, because, like, you're right. K-pop was designed to be exported. Um, uh, from what I know, I found out recently, is like, actually Jurassic Park was the pivotal moment when the korean government realized that they could have they realized the impact of soft power um so after they watch after people watch jurassic park they're like wait we need to manufacture culture
1: oh and wow
0: that was actually yeah it's That's interesting. i got I, I like but the the korean government then started to fund um movie directors and dramas and the tv and also like there is still state sponsored mm-hmm. broadcasts. That's like the three major broadcasters, or other oh, two. There are two major broadcasters that are government sponsored. So, huh. um, but yeah, so, um, kind of wrapping up, I wanted to just ask you, sort of like, and you sort of talk about it a little bit in your book, but, um, yeah, like what is your vision for the Japanese design industry moving forward? Or maybe not so grand, but like where are some of the steps that you're taking now that you've written this book and that, and maybe you can also go into what are the the things that compelled you to write it, but like, what do you like hope for, I guess, in the, in the days coming forward in, in regards to Japanese um, kind of sensitivity to race and, even gender and identity mm-hmm. um yeah
1: yeah i mean yeah part of the reason i wrote the book is just because i want to be able to talk about it you know mm-hmm. and and i think the response has been incredibly positive so far um the comment That's that i to hear yeah the comment that i've been receiving a lot that like really makes it all feel worth it is like i get a lot of japanese people saying like these are things that they've thought about but they didn't have like the vocabulary to say or to talk okay. about yeah and i feel like i'm like lending them like the words to speak about it you know yeah and i i just want to be able to do more things like that um Because there's just so many things that I'm upset about, you know, and I want I want to change here, you know, like, just even thinking about like, my gay friends, you know, and how they're not treated equitably here. Um, And just um, like what I'm working on at VCFA right now is just, I I see so much ingrained, like, misogyny, even in the Mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. And Language just feels like such, like, an immovable object. But, like, what I was speaking on earlier, if if we can change this much in, a, in the course of a 100 years, you know, like, things that feel immovable maybe aren't as, like, heavy as they seem, you know? So I just want to, like, be able to start conversations about more topics like this and maybe more things that fe- people have felt a little bit like 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 felt like or have thought about but just ha- haven't had like a way to talk about it yet you know right, and...
0: right. oh no you did something super helpful and I think really important in, in your book at the beginning by providing a glossary of terms and I also want to point out that the book is bilingual it's in Japanese and English so I thought that was a really smart move um, in, in terms of like giving people tools to to, yeah. to to think about the the writing.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, and the thing too is like the I don't know, maybe this sounds too like self-aggrandizing or something, but like I I, I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about these things because mm-hmm. they're afraid of like the reaction or um you know, like I I talk about people who are praised as heroes in Japan, you know, and it's uncomfortable and you don't want to do it. But, like, since I'm in a very privileged position where, like, I'm in a country that isn't necessarily, like, I mean, it is my home, but it's also, like, my second home, you know? Right. I, I feel like I'm able to take more risks that maybe mm-hmm. a person who was born and raised here can't. And yeah. so I, I want to use that privilege to be able to like start these like maybe scary or uncomfortable conversations that right. yeah um, can hopefully spark some con- like yeah like dialogue that they weren't able to before right yeah
0: um I thought it was also really cool that one of the uh the origins of of the book or the the need to talk or desire to talk about it was how at your company, TalkRum, you use like one of those paper bag lunch sessions um, mm-hmm. to talk about BLM um, and how you use that, what is supposed to be like a professional educational environment and introduce <laughs> those topics into, because they are professional, you know, mm-hmm. it is professional learning. Um, yeah. Especially when you're dealing with the things that you're dealing with at the agency in terms of like, photo shoots and models and stuff like that and branding yeah
1: yeah Yeah. i mean part of the reason i wrote the book too was because of how much i disliked that session (laughs) (laughs) um because i wanted it to be like hey i don't know the answers and like the Mm -hmm. book in itself is not supposed to be like the answers to anything it's just supposed to be you know like a conversation starter i think and what what that session ended up being was like me kind of talking to everyone right and it was so uncomfortable because i'm not i'm not an expert in BLM you know uh. and i'm not I, like i i shouldn't be the one like speaking on like the experiences of people that i, I like, that isn't my own experience you know right, right and so the reason i wrote the book was because I, I felt that I could talk about this, this subject matter in a way that was very personal to me um, right. and still talk about how it affects people everywhere, you know? So, right. I, I don't know. Right. I think I kind of, like, flipped it in a, a way that I felt more comfortable speaking about it. Right.
0: Um, I mean, you wrote a whole book about this, but just maybe in summary, like could you explain a little bit about your relationship to BLM? And like, also, um, it makes me think of this one thing, like one of my ex girlfriends, um, she was on a panel, like a diversity panel at a college Mm -hmm. and it was a POC panel. Like Mm -hmm. all these diversity initiatives always have these things, especially at that time. This was like Mm -hmm. 2015, um, when things were just getting kind of heated, um, but she is Japanese American, and this idea of like what does POC mean came up, and the people who were on the panel were really shocked that she said that she's POC, mm-hmm. um, and because the other panelists were like lat- uh, Latino and Black, and um, and and they were just like, wait, you're POC? Like, yeah, I'm yellow. Like, mm. I, that's a color too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I have my own like issues with the the POC mm-hmm. you know, label like um, and yeah. and then the splintering to BIPOC and whatnot yeah um, so it's not really a question of labels but more a question of like yeah you know, like how do you how do we as Asian Americans sort of align with that I think I would like to hear your opinion on
1: yeah that. I, I mean I I certainly don't assign any labels to myself either yeah. but yeah I think um yeah and I'm not like necessarily personally involved in like blm movements or anything like that right 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 but um yeah i mean i think i was just expressing frustration in my book because it i mean it's like a human rights matter you know and just the fact that these sorts of things are treated as like a foreign problem as opposed to something that is talking about human life in general was really upsetting to me. And then um this is probably like not great for me to say, but we attended like the Black Lives Matter march in Shibuya. Um and it it didn't maybe maybe the visual of it would start some conversations of it but the initiative itself felt like it lacked a bit of nuance you know like it was using a lot of like the language and chants that were being used you know like in America and like you can't really say like fuck the police in Japan because it's it's just like a it's like completely different culture and context you know so um sorry i think you're muted if you're saying something um uh, that uh, that
0: sounds weirdly uncomfortable
1: yeah so to me it was just like and i, I don't want to sound like that wasn't a valuable moment mm-hmm. in japan but um it just felt like there was more to that discussion that could be happening specifically to a Japanese audience that's not just rehashing you know the the same chance that you would hear for the American context yeah
0: and I mean like and we don't have to get into this and we can also like edit this out Mm -hmm. but like in terms of because I often think like one of the bigger FOMO moments that I have here living in Korea is that like when BLM started to happen and a lot of these, the me too movement started to go off. Like I felt really like I was missing out as an Asian American. Like this is our time. This is our our chance to change things. And I can't really do anything. Um, but like, I, like ironically, I'm much more attuned and like aware of it because I'm away, mm-hmm. and I've also sp- experienced a different level of foreignness here that I think mm-hmm. has given me more empathy. Um, but like, yeah, like I mean, even things in, in Korea, like as you mentioned, the the LGBTQ rights here are horrible. Like, mm-hmm. gay marriage is it's it's still illegal to be homosexual. Yeah. Um, it's still it's in the in the army it's kind of like a don't ask don't tell policy still um, and gay marriage is not legalized nor will i don't think it will be in the in the near future um, mm-hmm. but aside from those issues there's also issues surrounding like foreign laborers here and yeah. how it's hard to get a visa although we need that foreign labor and those and also just like um, we have a lot of interracial racism Mm. Uh, we have what we call Chosonjok, which are uh, ethnically Korean people from China or like uh, other countries, and yeah. they provide a lot of the um, manual labor, especially domestic labor. So they're like caretakers they're like nannies and au pairs and like house cleaners and stuff like that. Um, so they're like another, it's like another caste system within a highly like hierarchical society. Um, And I think those are the kinds of issues that like uh, that's, I think that's why it's so great that your book is you, you envision your book as sort of like a conversational tool. Like those are the conversations that we have to have domestically in, in the countries that we're in, in Korea and Japan, that, that relate to the core issues of what BLM is about. Like, and, and like, of course, on top of that, in the American context is police brutality and human rights. And, but like, how do those issues make us think about our ability to deal with difference and treat people with humanity and see as everyone as as our yeah. brothers and equal,
1: you know? Yeah. One of um like my, my favorite outcomes of writing this book is that I mean it feels kind of weird because I'm it's like because I wrote this book, I feel like people are giving me some sort of like authority over this subject matter or like giving me more cachet, even though I'm like very clear about the fact that I don't necessarily know what I'm talking about. I'm like learning it as like learning it with you kind of thing, you know, but, but one of the, the nice opportunities that came out of it was that there, there there've been a couple people who have reached out for me to like write about certain things and, I'm actually writing an essay right now. Hopefully it'll be out in August or something like that, but um but I'm writing exactly about that, but um my experience of going from being a minority to a majority and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what that means because like I think that's that's just a thing that not a lot of people experience and right. I think that has really f- like flipped how i approach like people who are in more like you know marginalized communities and like the the privilege and power that i have and like Mm -hmm. how i can use that power to like help people you know and um yeah and exactly that it's like um when we look at a lot of you know like the asian hate stuff and like um just like the racism that's happening in America, like
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, the same stuff is happening in Japan. It's just maybe not as obvious, you know, and right, like right. Um, it's and when I was listening to you speak, it was like it, it like word for word exactly what's happening in Japan as well. But right. just the way we're treating foreigners here or um, like the chosen engine like the, um, mm-hmm. the, the naturalized korean people or na- right. naturalized japanese people of korean descent like right. we we treat them the same way that like you know like white people treat american or asian people or black people in america right, and right, so it's like right. when you when you flip that lens on yourself it's like we we gotta do this, this stuff too you know like right right, um, right yeah i think it's just really important to yeah recognize yeah privilege and power and stuff like that yeah
0: totally totally uh well i don't want to take too much more of your time but this has been an awesome conversation um yeah i'd love to also maybe find some time just to like hang out like have a beer over skype or something like <laughs> yeah, or <for> whatever sure. <laughs> um but yeah like yeah let's keep in touch um thanks again for making the time ray it's been awesome and everyone uh the book is Why is the salary man carrying a surfboard? And it's available at bathboys.tokyo. Yeah, read it. It's awesome. Thanks, Ray.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. This has been fun.